Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, BA fam, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and keep our audience growing. If your iPhone recently upgraded to iOS 14.5, head to Apple Podcasts, search for Brown Ambition, and click on the plus button in the upper right-hand corner. Do that, and you'll be following our show. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, or the Amazon Music app. And Android users, we didn't forget about you. You can find us on Google Podcasts. time of my life. Okay, just kidding. I really miss Tiffany, but we made it, y'all. And I can't thank my guest co-host enough for joining me and holding my hand through this period of separation. While Tiffany has been on a much needed rest and recharge vacay, I want to thank Chris Browning of Popcorn Finance, Berna and Nat from Hey Berna, Jamila Soufran from Journey to Launch, and last but not least, Janice Torres Rodriguez from Yo Quiero Dinero podcast for joining me this past month, y'all. I can't believe we made it. I had such a good time getting to know these guys better, and I feel like I've got four new financial besties already. Now, this reference is strictly for the millennials, so boomers and Gen Zers, sorry, not sorry. Do y'all remember those old episodes of Saved by the Bell where they meet up at the max and they reminisce about the school year and they look longingly at nothing in particular in the distance and then it happens. The screen goes all squiggly and you realize it's one of those episodes, a recap of some of the best moments from the season's past. Well, here we go, Bayside Tigers. I mean, BA fam, I am about to walk down memory lane and replay some of the most memorable moments from our summer co-host series. This is the greatest hits over the last month, and I hope you guys enjoy them as much as I did getting to relive some of these conversations. When I'm in the co-host chair, honestly, sometimes I told Berna this when we had lunch last week. Yeah, we like hang out now. I told her that, honestly, sometimes I feel like I have these conversations and I semi-black out, and I have a hard time remembering. So it was really fun to walk back down memory lane and pick out what I thought were some of the really poignant and powerful moments that I had recording with these amazing co-hosts. So sit back and relax and enjoy this look back. Cue the squiggly, dreamy music, Callie. Okay, our first trip down memory lane starts with my conversation with the wonderful Chris Browning. He and I took a question from listener Lachine, who was asking about the difference between having a budgeting problem and an income problem. Lachine says, I just found your podcast after buying Tiffany's book and I'm obsessed. In her book, which is, I will add here, you guys, called Get Good With Money, which you can get at getgoodwithmoney.com. It's an eight-week national, wait, eight-week New York Times bestseller at this point. It's insane. Anyway, so Lachine found us through her book. She says, in the book, Tiffany talked about determining if you have a budgeting problem or an income slash earning problem. And I think I have an earning problem and I wanted to get y'all's opinion. I make $50,000 a year after taxes and insurance and my retirement, uh, retirement savings. I'm left with about $2,900 per month. I can comfortably pay my bills save for travel, and add money to my IRA, but that's about it. I want to save more, but there's nowhere else in my budget I feel like I can slice and dice. What do you guys think? So what's your take on like a budget versus an income problem, Chris? Ooh, I, 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 this is a great question here. And I think sometimes we do get trapped in the, okay, let's let's budget, let's cut, and let's, let's save where we can, which is good to go through and 
evaluate your budget and see where you're maybe wasting money. Uh, but the only thing is you can only cut so much. If you've already you know, got your stuff under control and you're really diligent with how you spend, you're going to get to a point where you just can't cut anything else. And if you want to increase your or increase the money you have available to invest and do other things with, yeah, you, you have to make more, which is it's it's much harder than cutting, uh, but it's, it's way more impactful in the long run. Yeah. I mean, if you guys need to hear it here first, although I'm pretty sure we've said it before, you cannot budget your way to wealth building. You can't mm-hmm. do it. You cannot become rich by budgeting. You can get part of the way there. Certainly you can. And it's certainly a good starting point. And you, and I think at in most levels, you should have at least an idea of what's going in and what's going out and what's left over. That uh, Budgeting is amazing, but it ain't going to get you there. And I think, I think it definitely sounds like if you're to the point where you want to put more money away and you just don't have it and you can't literally, you've looked at the budget and you're like, I, what am I going to do? Like live in my car? You can't, yeah. you know, there's nothing else to slice and dice like you say. So it is time to start looking at a couple different things. I am huge about the impact your career. I'm very passionate about the impact that your career choices can have in helping you accumulate wealth. And I'm also huge on looking for additional income streams on top of, you know, outside of your nine to five job or whatever work you happen to do so that you diversify the income streams that you have. After a year like this, it certainly feels like a lot of people were turning to side hobbies or side hustles, as they say, you know, you're starting their own businesses mm-hmm. to bring in extra money because it was a real kick in the ass, you know, to realize how vulnerable we all were, especially those of us who were tied to a nine to five job that either you had layoffs or cut back hours. I mean, it all felt very like scary and uh, a good reminder about the importance of having those different income streams. So, I mean, Chris, both and I, you and I both have podcasts Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think either of us is rolling in the dough from the podcast <laughs> life, <laughs> nope. but especially not if you're getting all the upgraded equipment that it sounds like <laughs> you're accumulating, but ha- was, you know, talk about like the podcast and what other, what do you, what do you think about different income streams and how someone could, you know, bring in extra wealth? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a fan of, of doing other things and building other streams of income and businesses and just things you own on, on your own, because one, I just enjoy the process of making something and having it something that I've created. It's just it's just a cool experience. It just I don't know. It makes you feel good. Like, look, I've I've made this thing. I've put my time and and sweat into this, and and it's here. So I'm definitely for finding things that you're you're passionate about uh, that you enjoy doing that you see an opportunity to have a viable business doing and, and pursuing those because, like you said, you know, uh, jobs are secure until they're not and, until something happens where they need to move on from you. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, th- things could change overnight. Uh, but but just like you, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of of growing within your career. Uh, that was one of the biggest things that helped us get out of debt. I, when we when my wife and I kind of got serious about our finances, uh, we had about twenty seven thousand dollars in credit card debt and we were taking home like forty five thousand dollars between the two of us, oh, which wow. was not it's not enough money and not especially not in Southern California. It is not. How did you do that? <laughs> It, wow. it, was, it, it was rough. We were, we were living in a tiny house, in a, in a very small studio uh, for, for several years. And really, we cut, we cut our budget down to like nothing. Like we were not having any fun. Like nothing was getting spent that didn't need to be spent. And it still was going so slow. It was, it was such a, a long journey. And so for me, that's what I, I went and I looked at, okay, this is how much I'm making. I think at the time I, I, I forgot how much I was making by myself, but it wasn't, it clearly wasn't a lot. What, what do I need to do? And so that's when I started saying, all right, what professional organizations can I join? I started joining these different uh, groups for bookkeepers and I would go to conferences and I would help organize the speakers and then I would meet other people from other places and uh, I would find out about new openings and, and build up my resume. So that when I applied for the next job, it's like, oh, you did all of this? Like, oh yeah, you know, you can just kind of pump yourself up. And so yeah. doing things like that, it allowed me to increase my income so much faster than if I would have just stayed at my one job and hoped for a, a, a nice raise, which wasn't going to come. What were you- doing at the time your backgrounds in accounting uh yeah like accounting and bookkeeping work so at the time i was a payroll supervisor i was running a payroll department um at a school district actually and um so you're managing was, paychecks and trying to get a bigger one at ex- the same exactly time. <laughs> i was thinking everyone who was making more money than me and be like all right i need to do something about this that's gotta be really depressing <laughs> <laughs> it really or aspirational <laughs> You know, when you see some of those paychecks, you're like, I don't know what these people are doing right now, but I need to make some changes and, and get one of these because 
<laughs> it's way more it's than pretty, I'm getting. You know, it's bad if you're like jealous of a, like a, I don't know what kind of school teachers these were, but uh, I'm feeling like a, a, a middle school math teacher is making more. It's like, oh, okay. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, cause we all know teachers aren't paid that well. And I was uh, getting paid a lot less than, than the majority of teachers. That's a crime. Yeah. I've, I love that. You know, I was recently celebrating with my husband because we've really been focused on increasing our net worth. And we, we, we did the math with our planner and realized that we have increased our net worth by tenfold in the last five years. Wow. And I was, I was sitting down and I'm, we're going to, I'm going to do a, a specific show about it. But as I was sitting through and working through, you know, how did we do this? I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't by budgeting. The mm. most significant, the, the, the biggest reasons. And I, Part of me almost feels a little, or used to feel a little, um, not ashamed, but I think people want to hear that we just pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we, you know, we coupon clipped, and we, mm. and we, uh, we were good people, and we just worked real hard. They want to hear that kind of story, but the truth is, was that I was super ruthless with <laughs> pursuing new opportunities when two things were true when I could earn significantly more and when I could challenge myself professionally. So when I could, when I was offered, when I was offered, I was in other jobs. And when I was offered opportunities to move to a different company, as long as the opportunity was professionally rich, like I could, I was learning a new skill. I was getting to try a new position or something like that. And it came with additional income. I was definitely willing to take it. And I was very risky with some of my career choices and they could have gone the other way entirely, you know, without, mm, with yeah. risk comes rewards or, you know, disaster. But it was because of those choices, I was able to negotiate, you know, 30%, 50% raises, equity in companies that I was joining, which opened me up to even additional opportunities to, to build wealth as long as that stock price in that company went up, which I was fortunate enough to have that happen sometimes. So like, those are the types of things that, um, that I'm, I'm ready to just be honest about it because there's no shame in it. In fact, I had to do it. I, I'm a black woman in America, yo. Like we don't make that much money. We yeah. make 60% of what a, a white man earns. So for me, I just always thought about when I went into like a salary negotiation or when I was approached by a competitor or a different company to come work for them, I really looked at that as an opportunity. It's often the best opportunity you can get to negotiate a higher salary. And staying at the same place for a long time, it ain't it, y'all. It is not no. it. In terms of in terms of salary growth, especially if you came in entry level, that is not the way to increase your income unless, I mean, you can stay there if you love your job, but then you gotta start side hustling on, you know, get a side business or take a hobby and, and start bringing in cash, you know, on, on top of your earnings. But loyalty does not pay in corporate America. It doesn't. I'm proof of that. I really had to make those big, scary leaps to get to where I am today to get those bigger paydays. No, I mean, it, it, I, I love that so much because I've, I've seen it where uh, there was a situation. I no, no one. I won't name the place, so no one can figure out who I'm talking about. But there, there was a place I y'all leave at. Chris alone. Don't get him. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> don't get don't him go, in trouble. Don't get me in trouble, please. Don't go research this place. But I was working at this place. There was a woman there. She was amazing at her job. She was amazing, and she just wanted. She. I don't even think she was asking for a raise. She just wanted a better title than what she had. And they were like, "No, we can't do that. I'm sorry. Like, it was something so easy. They were like, "No, we can't do that. But we. But you're great." So she's like, you know what? All right, I'm out of here. So she left, got a better job, got the title she wanted and got a pay raise. The person they brought in to replace her, they gave the title that that, that she wanted and more money. Ugh. And it was like, they could have done it all along, but it was just like, well, they, they think we have you here. You're not mm -hmm. going to leave. So we're not going to do anything. And that's yeah. where you like, I mean, I agree with you 100%. That's, that's the only way you're going to make these significant leaps sometimes is to, to find better opportunities outside of where you are because they're, they have no incentive to make your pay jump significantly. And you may think that they are the nicest people. You know, they've come to your housewarming parties. They gave you a nice little gift when you had a baby or you got <laughs> married. It does like they're not go. It takes a lot of effort. I was that manager who really fought for raises and promotions for my people when I didn't have to because mm -hmm. I wanted to retain them. I 
And there were plenty of people who just don't do that because it takes a lot of time. It takes effort. You got to like do your research. You got to bat for people. It's just not in a lot of people's best interest to to go to bat for folks that's work. So, yeah, I love that example. I mean, I hate it, but it's a really good example of what we're talking about here. Loyalty does not pay all. Mm -mm. Mm. But I want to talk a bit about before we get to the next question about starting a new business. Like I literally, I'm at a point where I just started a new business. Hello guys. I'm the I'm the CEO and founder of Mandy Money Media, which is a uh, independent content consulting firm and <laughs> editing and writing business. Yay. Do I get some kind of like, thanks, you know, doing my own thing after a long, well, like a decade of experience. I'm, I'm striking out on my own. And what's so fun for me has been doing these things like I filed for an LLC. It's shockingly easy to do this, y'all. You just need a little <laughs> bit of money and like Google, like just how to Google. If you go to your state's Department of Labor website or just Google your state LLC, it'll have a very easy to fill out form, pick your name, give them your little coins. I had it within minutes. I got approved and got my, my LLC established. And then it's what, the IRS? Do you, did you do this yet? We get a, a taxpayer uh, or an employee ID number through the oh, IRS.gov. Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy process. And then you don't have to give people so your social easy. security number either. Yeah. I mean, I think I might have to like get it, but yeah, it took, I was, I was shocked. It was instantly, oh, here's your EIN. Here you go. And once I had that EIN, what did I do? I went and got a business bank account, mm-hmm. just did some Googles to find the best one. Although I will say, I don't know if you have a business bank account or credit card yet. Do you? Uh, yeah, I've, I do have the credit card. I've not gone the banking route. I'm still, I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm maybe utilizing some personal accounts as business accounts right now. You know, that's cool. It depends on how you, I, I did learn that, you know, when I was trying to decide whether to do an LLC or work as a sole proprietor, it's very different, like in terms of how, uh, how you can commingle your personal versus professional expenses and things like that. But Definitely. I, I got on the phone with my CPA and he was like, LLC is the way to go. So that's what I did. And um, yeah, but the EIN, it took seconds and the, oh, the business bank account. What I was going to say is I, cause that's, I wanted, to, I'm going to get paid soon, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully soon from clients, <laughs> you know, I'm manifesting it like my husband installing his Tesla charger <laughs> five months before he actually had a Tesla. Um, I'm going to get this. I got a bank account through a, um, a online bank and it was kind of hard to find a fee free business bank account. seems like a lot of them charge. Um, they either have a, a minimum required balance, which I don't know if I'm going to make, I'm going to make money, but like, I can't, I can't commit right now that I'm going to yeah. be making a certain amount. <laughs> yeah. So it took a lot of, uh, comparing and contrasting, but I definitely, I was able to get one and you have to have your EIN in order to get one set up. Um, and then I got approved for a personal, uh, sorry, a business credit card, which was exciting. So it's, it, you can do it. And, and look, I'm a business who you can't tell me nothing. I'm a business owner, right? <laughs> I don't need a storefront. Like, no. I'm no, doing it's, it. It's so different than what people thought of. Like what people, I think we have a much different image in our head of what it takes to to be a business owner. It's it's so it's such an easy process these days. It really is. So I hope that that motivates y'all and inspires you to to look at you know if you if you're like me and you've been doing something for a long time, you know, and you realize you've got a certain set of skills that companies would pay to take advantage of or leverage. You know, that's a way of like, let's say I was still doing my, you know, had a nine to five job. I could I could feasibly do this on the side and just bring in some extra income. And uh, that's the beginning, again, to to true wealth building. So I love that Tiffany covered that in her book. Get good with money dot com. Y'all check out the book. <laughs> I love that she covered that in the book because it really is like it's the next level from just basic budgeting, really focusing on your income. Yeah, it, it really is such a great idea. And, you know, what I've started to discover, too, is that the bar is actually very low for a lot of what people consider good work. I'm, I'm very shocked <laughs> for what I'm You're seeing. right. <laughs> In my mind, it's like people are like, if, you, if you're going to do something for, the, for a company, it's like it has to be the, the best thing that's ever been made. But I've I've I'm not going <laughs> to again, I'm not going to name any companies, but I've I've witnessed some uh, some businesses doing work that I'm like, that's all it took for you to get paid? Well, I guess I need to step it up and do some, some other things. 
I know. Well, I, in my career, I've employed people like myself and I'm like, I know exactly how much mediocrity there is out there. I'm going to go out there and be the best. And it's not going to be that hard because it's a lot of mediocre. Okay. Not to shade anybody, you should, <laughs> but, but it's a really good point. It truly is. And I, yeah, I'm excited about this new journey and thank you, Lachine, for your question and for checking out our podcast. I love that. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, next up, we have a snippet. It was really hard to pick a favorite nugget from my conversation with Berna Anat, but I did think that this particular part of the conversation when we were taking a question from a listener wanting to know whether or not they should go for a traditional or a Roth 401k, it really unlocked an interesting point that Berna made about this key part in our young adulting lives. So let's check in and see how Berna tackled this topic. I was recently hired at a university and I'm trying to determine if it's better for my future self to have money taken out of my paycheck and put into my 401k pre-tax or after tax. Wouldn't I have a tax advantage if it's taken from my paycheck after tax? Listen, there's not really a wrong answer here. And I do. So, and I, and I, 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 this is a specific question that I definitely think, you know, it's worth talking to a a fee only financial planner about because it's never just about your your 401k, or in your case, you probably have an uh, uh, educator account, which is like a 403b, but still similar. So you probably wouldn't get more personalized advice than this. But just to break it down, you know, when you contribute to a traditional 401k or traditional IRA, or sorry, a 401k, you're putting dollars in pre-tax, which means you put the money in and you don't get taxed until you take it out when you're old and gray, or hopefully not so old and gray, mm-hmm. in retirement. And the benefit there is that your money grows tax-free. It's it's wonderful. It's an incentive to get people to put money away for retirement. Yes. The Roth 401k is different in the sense that you pay taxes up front. And typically what some financial advisors will say is this is also a tax benefit. It's just a little bit more indirect because you're paying taxes now. Uh, let's say you're earning a lower income today than you plan to be earning later when you get to retirement age. You could be saving money by paying your, at your lower tax rate now than when you you know start withdrawing from your funds later. 
Another benefit that I think is overlooked with the Roth is that you can actually withdraw your contributions. So it's not actually as tied up as a traditional retirement account where like if you take an early withdrawal and it's just to, you know, pay for something or to pay off some debt, it can be tax penalties that you have to pay and then income tax on top of that on what you withdraw. With a Roth, like let's say you put in $5,000 over a couple of years, you want to, and you've gained, you know, $2,000 on that 5K. So you've got 7K in there right now. You could arguably go in there and withdraw some of that principal amount, that 5,000 that you put in and pocket that without the penalties of a traditional 401k. But now that we got all that like jargony goodness, mm, mm, yum, <laughs> out of the way, Verna, talk to me about, I mean, this is like a common, this is like a common, you know, one of the first adulting type decisions that happen when you get a new job. For me, I was so like ignorant about all this mess. I had a 401k match at my first job. I was there for 15 months, never opened, <laughs> never put a dime in it. Left all the money on the table. <laughs> to be fair, I had no dimes to put in there. But sure, sure. What was what was it like for you when you started to, you know, you went from freelancing to like, oh, benefits yes. like a four hundred one k. What was that like for you, and how did you decide? Yes, actually, trying to figure out what in the GD hell is a four hundred one k was one of my first financial kind of Google entries ever when I, you know, like you said, we go through HR and the orientation. They're like, here's your four hundred one k. Before you could even ask, like, why is it even named a 401? And they're like, mm, on to the next. And then they're like, we can't give you advice. We're HR. We're not a financial. So you get very little answers in the first place. It was amazing to find out through Googles, not the HR representatives, which typically they should be more helpful, but a lot of the times they are not. It was amazing to find out that for a lot of young people, especially in your very first jobs, your 401k is like the first time you're actually, your money is getting invested, often invested for you, and you have no idea. Like it was many months into my job, like you said, Mandy, when I realized that money was being taken out for my 401k for my paychecks and things were happening to it. I guess I had like blacked out and signed papers <laughs> when I, during orientation, agreeing to something. And I didn't understand it until many months afterwards and like couldn't actually change things. So it was amazing to find out that first of all, money won, Money was already being taken out of my paycheck without my, maybe like kind of unconsensually, without my like understanding of how it happened. Two, I learned about what you just said, 401k matching. My company was a company that does, that they did 401k matching, which meant when I put a certain amount of money into my 401k, my company was like, cool, me too. Simon says, I'm going to do the same thing up to a certain degree. We love to say as financial, you know, mouth holes, that's free money. <laughs> That's yeah. money on the table, right? I give money and you're, I move, you move like ludicrous. I move the money and then the company says, me too, I move the money. So that was amazing to find out. And then you get into the, okay, so what's the difference between a 401k and an IRA? You learn about all the things that Manny just said about like the tax differences. That's around when, even if like, if you had held on to this point of like trying to learn, that's around when people's brains start to tune out mm -hmm. and it starts to the but butterfly out the window, going to go get lunch. But the, they are really important differences when you're kind of looking at things. But I think the most important thing is whichever path you choose, sit yourself or an HR representative or a financial advisor down until you and like ask all the questions until you fully understand the differences between the two. Don't go blindly into it like me and be like, it looks like the guy to my left just check the box and so, and so it makes it that like I literally left money on the table for the first year. I left free money out of my own damn retirement account for the first mm -hmm. year because I was just blindly following. There's so much pressure in the process. Don't be afraid to sit down and like ask all the damn questions. Google all the every single phrase, every single thing that you can so that you understand both ways. And like Mandy was saying, it's not like there's a major giant, like big mistake difference between the two. Honestly, I don't think there really is. It's especially when it's a first sort of investing foray, but understand the crap out of it. You really, you deserve to understand the crap out of everything happening to every dollar and it's tiring, but yeah. I, I, until a retirement expert comes in and starts doing a dance at every like orientation, this is how we got to do it. <laughs> It'll be me. 
I'll That'll be. I mean, I I think they paid big big dollars for you to come tell their employees about their benefits, which is one of the, like the incentives to keep <laughs> them there. I don't know why companies. I mean, literally at a previous job, when one of the benefits was RSUs, restricted stock units, literally yes. stock in the company. Mm-hmm. And I had a staff of young people who had never so much as heard of an RSU before, and I'd have yep. to do their performance reviews and be like, "Oh, and you're going to get you know five thousand dollars worth of RSUs," and they What's would have that? these blank stares. And finally, uh-huh. I was like do you know what this is? No. Or they would say, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's like the thing, you know, and I'm like, no, here's what it is. And then their eyes would get wide. They're like, whoa, this is great. This yep. is great. But you don't, you don't know until you ask those questions. So, and a lot of people aren't like me. They don't have time, you know, they don't take the time. So definitely yes. ask. I was going to say, they're lucky to have an employer that's like, let me tell you exactly what it is. Because I remember learning about RSUs at my former job too, and being like, this is a huge tech company with so many resources. I can't believe I have to Google this shiz on my own to find out that I'm being given equity in the company, but the equity works like this. It's got all these rules. It's like, bless you and every other employer that actually looks out for the young people like that. That's beautiful. That's where you're saying, you know, how, uh, what is it? What is hella, the personal finance world is hella male, hella pale, hella stale. Hella stale, yes. That is true of businesses too. It's really the structure is built for, I think, people who don't need to have a sit down and talk about RSUs because their (sighs) uncle or their father or their mother, you know, their mentor tells them those types of things. But a lot of folks, especially brown and black black people and women, you know, Mm. we don't go into the corporate world with those extra benefits and those, you know, advisors and little evil parrots on our shoulders (laughs) to tell us these types of things. So we have to seek it out for ourselves and companies need to do the extra work to do all that. But now I'm on my soapbox now about one of my favorite subjects, which is how businesses fail their employees. I love that. (laughs) Subscribe. Yeah. But I do want to say thank you to this question. And just to take it home, the only bad decision here is to not invest, to Mm. not save for retirement. That's the only bad decision you can make. And also, you know, to your point, Berna, about getting knowledge, for me, the best thing I did at 24 was just start saving before I even knew everything I thought I needed to know. Mm. I just did the, the easiest option, you know, check the box for automatic withdrawals into a target date fund. And then I was like, cool, you're cute. I'll come back to you when I'm ready to dive in more and do more things. And that was the smartest decision I ever made, putting me on my path to um, a tenfold increase in my net worth over the past, you know, decade. And I, yeah, and I just don't want people to hold themselves back because they don't think that they know enough. There are some small steps you can take today Mm -hmm. that will put you on the right path and you'll, you know, you'll accrue that knowledge over time. Just don't wait until you're, you know, you can recite and don't wait until you have to stop Googling the different terms. (laughs) I still Google sometimes, you know? Me too. All the time. It's fine. I mean, we we aren't like raised with these pockets of knowledge in our heads. And so we have to keep relearning. We have to keep shoving them into our heads because it doesn't come naturally to so Mm -hmm. many of us. And I, I love to also tell young folks like, you have something that every older hella male pale stale investor wishes they had, and that's time. It's yeah. time. You you have that freaking in in bags all, all around you, and that's the most important thing for retirement investing specifically. So just get her done. Just get her done in any which way yeah. and confuse yourself with the terms once there's already money in the pot. I love that. Okay, for those of y'all who've been following Brown Ambition, Even from the beginning, but even if you tuned in last week for the first time, I guarantee you at some point we mentioned either Husband, my husband Enrique, or Superman, uh, Tiffany's husband Jarrell. Now, when we first started the show, neither one of us was actually married yet, and these guys have been through it, all right? We love to talk about how Superman constantly opens the door when Tiffany's recording or how my husband decided it would be really neat to spend $1,000 to get in line for a Tesla when he and I just started dating and saving for our wedding. We give these guys a lot of grief, but during my conversation with Jamila Souffrant from Journey to Launch, she and I had a really wonderful sort of reflection on the importance that the partner that you choose in life can have when it comes to your own wealth building and your own career journey. So I want to take a moment to replay this segment from my conversation with Jamila Mila from Journey to Launch. This is so important because uh, he was, he looked at me like I was crazy because he is a very simple man and (laughs) (laughs) he's very easygoing, right? So, and, you know, again, when I came to him, 
few years ago and I'm telling him about all these stories on podcasts. I'm hearing people retiring and quitting their jobs. He's just like, really? Because I don't, what are we going to do? Like, what are you talking about? And it really took some conversations um, to get him to kind of see. And one of the things I always say with couples is like, don't like, I had to show him one, the numbers, the numbers for him, even for me, like I had to believe the numbers, meaning I had to map out really, is this possible? Will I be able to one day quit my job early? How much money can we save and invest if we aggressively do this? If we cut back, if we become more optimized in our finances, how much money can we have? So I literally, when I came home and and told him the first time, he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And then over time, what I did was I didn't push him to, this is really important. Just because you come up with a realization or have an epiphany doesn't mean like your partner will. They have a, they have, they're on a whole new, another timeline. So I respected that, but also started to show him like the numbers. Like I created this spreadsheet and it showed like, if we do this, like, first of all, step back from the spreadsheet. What does a life look like now that we enjoy? And what does a life look like now in like 20 years, right? When the kids are this age and like they're at the house and we can travel. And how can we balance that now? So we started with like the dream of our lives, what they are now and what we want them to be. And then we like did numbers around it. And I showed him, well, if we do this, make these changes in our finances, save and invest this much over time, we can have, you know, over a million dollars in 20 years and we can do all these things. And that started to get him excited because instead of me just saying it and talking, he saw the numbers. And then the other thing I really was important to say was, yeah, I want to do this. So I quit my job, but also like, you know, I'm the mom, I'm my, I'm the one giving birth and having three kids. I also have the crazy commute. See, my husband, his job is maybe like 10 minutes away from our house. So Mm -hmm. he also knew the pressure of just like my life and he wanted me to be happy. And so I made sure that like, not only like we were going to pursue what I wanted, like in terms of a career or quitting my job, but what is it that you want? So I definitely, we made sure to include his wants and hopes like into what we were doing. You know, I don't really care about having a nice car. We used to have nice cars, quote unquote, back in the day before kids and getting a little bit more optimized with our finances. But I was like, look, if I can, I want to buy you a car. You know, like it was things like that that got him excited. So that way we both were. <laughs> That's, that was my way into baby. I said, save for a Tesla. Let's invest well, for a Tesla. Yeah, let's start investing for a Tesla. It's so important because he is a little bit more like fancier, I would say, than me, right? Like I'm good with kind of just like bare minimum, but sometimes fancy. He's like, if I could do it fancy all the time, I would. So talking about <laughs> it in that term, um, really helped to let him know that this is a team effort. It's not just about what Jamila wants. And also, like, if I'm miserable because I'm working um, and driving all this time, like, th- this whole family is not going to be, like, happy. So let's work to a place that we can get to. And so he he eventually got on board with that. But he's very easygoing and laid back. Thank God for that in terms of he pretty much trust me. We have the open conversations about it. And even when it came to quitting my job, because that was huge, like my income was more than half of the family's combined income. And so if like, it would almost been better if I was a teacher and then he had his career because then like, you know, he can kind of stay on his trajectory. But for me to walk away was like a big step because what does that look like as a family? We have three kids, we have a mortgage. Like, so we literally had to save up enough money to cover our expenses while Journey to Launch like started to, you know, become more stable. And that was scary, but we did it together. We had the conversations and it it's, it's working out so far. So... that's no that's wonderful I also have always been it's it's so funny how the I'm you know and no shade to your husband I always talk to my husband I'm like dude you work for the government and you have the bougiest taste of like where do you come (laughs) off with this like what he's like I must he has like this very specific t-shirt brand he gets custom shirts I'm like I'm the one shopping in the clearance rack at H&M but uh, same (laughs) as you I I we I was I was earning probably like two, three X what he was earning at the, at my peak earning career in, uh, you know, corporate America, so to speak. But, oh, that's so, that's so funny. And it's also, you know, shouts out to, shouts out to partners, you know, I don't put genders on it, but partners who are willing to, maybe, maybe they have their doubts, but they just, you know, have those in the shower alone. They, uh, they support and they, you know, have faith in their partners to, to really bet on themselves and to take their career to a different place. That's really wonderful that he's been supportive to you. And I, I appreciate you talking about the whole, the, the values, you know, and how you as a partner, I've struggled with this too, probably a little bit more than it sounds like you did, but I was like, it was very hard for me to start to share in the values based investing. Like, so for example, you know, I, 
had no problem spending money on values or experiences that I particularly wanted to have. But when it came to a, you know, if it was a car or, mm. you know, a, I don't know, concert or something that, you know, Enrique really wanted, it was, it was like, mm, is that really worth it? And I had to, I had to learn to share in that. It was, that was probably my, one of the more difficult challenges for me financially and like mentally as a spouse was bringing them in and being open to, you know, their, what they value and not, not discounting it and making that a part of the overall plan. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's important just like, and for me, I think as growing up without really, you know, I, I didn't have a father in my life or I had father figures. I didn't really have a close relationship with them. And so I was like, for me, the value-based things, like the simple, even though I say he's fancy, like the other things that he's about, which is like family and he's very grounded and supportive. Like it's like one of the first signs, like I saw in him, like when we first started dating years ago, um, that I said, like, out of all the things I want in someone, it would be the opposite of what I knew my dad to be. And so I think whatever that is, I know some people meet people like that and they are not, they don't turn out to be this way eventually, but he, it, that's what he is and who he is. And so even as an entrepreneur and now, like I know like having three kids, like he's an equal partner in the house and in parenting. I still feel like I do a little bit more, but I feel like he is as much equal as outside of my controlling self he can be in terms of how I like things done. And it's been when people say, how do you do this? Like, how did you manage all that stuff when you were working and commuting and the kids? And how do you even do it now as like a business owner and with the kids? It's like, why? Because I, he's an equal partner in this. And that has a lot to do with, I think, how it allows me to make money and be happy and how our household lives and how we choose to spend money. So I'm proud of the fact that I chose, (laughs) I chose him as my husband. Isn't Jamila the best? And shout out to her husband, Woody, as well. Do you ever have subscriptions that you forget about? I did. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hard time canceling those subscriptions because they seem tricky or time consuming? Raise your hand. I know it's you. Okay. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Yes. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I cancel it with a tap. I've never had to get on the phone with customer service in order to do so. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Okay. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition. That's rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition, rocketmoney.com slash brown ambition. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To close out this walk down memory lane, I chose a very special part of the conversation that I had with Janice Torres Rodriguez from the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast. Janice is a badass, y'all. First of all, I love the way that she talks about how she built her confidence in a very male-dominated world in her field of engineering and how she flipped all the stereotypes on their head becoming very used to being one of the only, if not the only female in a room. And she even talks about how she actually got used to being mansplained to the point where it became an asset to her that she could actually stomach it. So let's round out our walk down memory lane with a look back at my conversation with Janice. Yeah. So as an engineer and as a Latina, like I think 
that the career experience has definitely served me well in the sense that like I'm so used to being mansplained that now when it happens in like the personal finance sphere, which yes, it absolutely does. Yeah. It kind of doesn't bother me. I'm just <laughs> like, bitch, like what you like, we are the same. So we're, I'm not even here to like, I, I don't need your explanations, sir. Thank you. And because that came so much from like my corporate experience, I was usually the youngest woman in the room. I was usually the only woman of color. And there was a lot of like that just, you know, that girl, that girl gets like the projects that nobody else wants to work on and just gets talked down to, gets told that I'm aggressive when, you know, the men are quote unquote being assertive, blah, blah, blah. So I think from that perspective, like I'm grateful for the fact that it gave me a thick skin because right I don't take any shit from anybody at this point. And I think my career has a lot to do with that. But I think I followed my father's footsteps when it comes to an engineering background, because he is an engineer as well. He works on like automating production lines for manufacturing companies. And so I always like was surrounded by technology and curiosity and science. Like that was always the vibe that was in my house. I was always wanting to find out what my dad was working on. So I think you know, I saw him being financially successful and I wanted to mimic that. But then I also realized like after a while, I just don't care about this. This is not what lights me up. Yes, I was making great money. Like I was 25 years old, making like $75,000. I started making six figures before I turned 30. And, you know, the monetary aspect of it is what kept me in the field for so long because I had all these thoughts about like, well, what the hell else am I going to do that's actually going to be able to pay me this type of money? But at some point, I just realized like I can't go through life just living with the excitement of a paycheck because it's not it's not worth it to me. I, I can't wake up every day with anxiety about going to work and doing something that literally just like drains me and that I don't care about. I'm sitting with that for a moment because I want people, <laughs> you don't, you guys don't have to do it. <laughs> There's another way. There's another way. You mentioned therapy earlier. Now, I talked to my husband about therapy because I've been in therapy ever since I got pregnant a couple of years ago. I just knew it's well, first of all, I know it's really hard to find a therapist that you jive with. And I was I was looking for therapists before, you know, BetterHelp and Talkspace and all these new apps and stuff. But I whenever I kind of bring it up, I can feel the air in the room change around my husband and his family. They're Dominican American and, you know, first generation in this country. And there's just there's a bit of a stigma about it. It's very much like not from him, but like from some of his extended family, you know, why won't you just talk to God about that? And by mm -hmm. the way, I come from a very uh, Southern black family in Atlanta, and it's the same damn thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, we talk to Jesus when we have problems. We don't. Yep. What? So what was that like for you? Was it easy for you to turn to therapy in your journey? Or did you have did you have any like internalized stigmas against it as well? I definitely had internalized stigmas. My husband went to therapy before I did. And so I actually followed his example because Mental yes. health was something that was very common in his family, like to talk about. And I was the complete opposite. So he actually gave me like the courage to even pursue this. And, you know, at some point I wanted to talk about it to my family too. And when I first told them, of course, they're just like, girl, like, what do you have to complain about? Like, you have a perfect life. Get over it. Your anxiety is made up, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you know, you kind of have to just brush that stuff aside and realize like your feelings are your feelings. You don't need somebody else to validate them. And if you need help, like, that's what it's there for. So whoever approves or doesn't, they got to get over that shit because it has nothing to do with you. I love that your husband, I've, I've never heard an anecdote from someone saying my my male partner, my husband encouraged me to get into therapy. I want to hear more stories like that. I think yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't have that much time, but I want to. So we haven't even gotten to Yoke de Dinero. <laughs> but before <laughs> you've lived like 12 lives in the past decade, it feels like. <laughs> but you you didn't start with Yoke de Dinero. While you were working, you launched your food blog, right? Delish Delights, mm -hmm. which is to this day one of your 10 income sources, which we're going to talk to uh, Janice about how she has 10 streams of income, which is like major goals. But talk to me about Delish Delights, how it is making money for you today. And then when did you pivot from food blogging to f money blogging and money advice? 
Yeah, so the food blog is definitely like a creative outlet that I started because of this frustration that I had around my career. I had a typical quarter life crisis where I'm like, I wake up like I'm like 27 years old. What the hell is my life? Like, why is this the thing that we all have to do? Like, why do we just have to go to work every day and work till we're 65 and then like go and enjoy life? So I was convinced that like, maybe I should just quit my job and go to culinary school. I'm going to be like, you know, Gordon Ramsay or something. But then I realized, okay, wait, so I'm going to take like a massive pay cut because we all know the restaurant industry doesn't pay. I'm going to get into more student loan debt when I'm still paying off like my master's degree. Hold on. Maybe this is not the route to go. So then I discovered the world of online blogging. So I started finding websites like skinnytaste.com and The Pioneer Woman, and I realized, oh, this love of cooking that I have can actually be something that I can do from home and I can create like this website and maybe I can actually monetize this. And so I dove in like head first. I created my blog. I started sharing recipes every day. I was like, you know, my husband would come home. I'd be like on top of the kitchen table, like taking pictures, every <laughs> dish in the, you know, kitchen sink, all the pots would be used. And then I got laid off like six months after I started the blog and had this free time to myself to really just pretend like, what would it be like if I was a self-employed person making a living off of a food blog? So I took the opportunity to take some courses in food blogging, which was just becoming like a thing that people were actually teaching you how to do that you could actually make money on. And I started implementing what I was learning into my journey as a blogger. And so here we are like eight years later, you know, I started monetizing the blog maybe two years after I started it because I, those two years were basically a huge learning curve where I was starting to understand like how you actually monetize a brand that you create online. And eight years later, the blog is earning anywhere from ten to $15,000 a month in passive income from ads, from traffic that is coming to my website. I reach about 4 million visitors a year now with my website. Thank y'all so much for rocking with me this past month during our summer co-host series. I miss Tiffany. She will be back next week. So check out our episode coming up next week on July. Let me look at my calendar because y'all know mom brain is a real affliction. July 14th, we are back with a fresh episode with Tiffany. She is going to be back in the co-host chair. I cannot wait. But again, thank you so much to our listeners for rocking with me this past month and to our co-hosts, Chris, Berna, Janice, Jamila. Thank y'all so, so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me and opening up about your financial journeys. They have been inspiring, hilarious, thought-provoking. I can't wait, can't wait for you guys to catch up and listen to all of them. Check out our podcast wherever you get them. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, oh Lord, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you want to get them. Check out these episodes. And don't forget to hit us up on Instagram. Let us know what you liked about an episode. Send us your questions. Y'all know we love to answer them. We are at Brown Ambition Podcast on Instagram. You can also tweet us at the BA Podcast or send us an email. We're brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.